Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 189, and we're going to be interviewing Jared. How are you doing today, Jared? Doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. You were able to make sure you got it and all that great stuff? Yes, sir. All right, good. So I just want to make sure. Um, so let's get started. Tell me about your childhood and growing up. Well, um, so I'm from Muncie, Indiana. I was born here in Muncie, uh, raised in Muncie, live in Muncie now. And I was born in 1980, so it was the decade of decadence. Um, my parents were both hardworking people, but um, they were also they were also users. Um, when I was younger, I didn't know it at the time, but they were they were using hard drugs and what kind uh, of drugs, cocaine, mostly. Um, I did know they smoked pot and drank, you know, I grew up, I grew up, that was normal. And, um, they did it in front of you, the pot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They did it in front of us. And I even remember in uh, kindergarten. So my school did call my dad because, uh, back then we had the, the dare program and yeah, we had, I, I was born in 82, so not far off. Yeah. Right. So they had a an officer come into our class and talk to us about drugs. And of course they talked to him about marijuana. And then they asked, um, you know, they told us a little bit about, about it and, uh, asked if we knew anybody that smoked marijuana. And so <laughs> I raised my hand up. I was like, yeah, my dad smokes pot. You oh, know, no. <laughs> so, but that was also back in the days where, you know, school just basically called to tell my dad and, uh, yeah, I don't know what he said, but it was, you know, it wasn't a big deal. Um, but we grew up middle class, upper middle class, I guess, at the time. Um, my dad worked for a uh, Borg Warner here in town, which was a Borg Warner. Which large manufacturer. Uh, okay. The Ford manufacturer. So here in Muncie, we had uh, Ford manufacturer and we had uh, a chevy plant too so we were a booming industrial uh, town and um you know it paid well they were union so i mean we grew up we never wanted for anything so in that respect you know my childhood was good i don't really remember my parents fighting too much um but there was obviously troubles. And uh, when I was 11, they got divorced. And um, once once they got divorced, it was just uh, life just changed. You know, I always did real well in school. I continued to do real well in school. But my dad was a disciplinarian and my mom was not. And she kind of let us do whatever we wanted to do which was to our detriment um looking back on it now that was not what we needed and uh what kind of stuff would you be doing well as i got older i started drinking i started drinking about 14 years old that's when i started getting into pot um but my mom drank a lot and she was oftentimes at the bar 
and um, so she left us kids home quite a bit. So not only was I able to drink a lot, but it became the place to hang out for my friends too. It was a place they could come after school, they could drink, and they could uh, we could smoke pot, we could party, and um, didn't have to worry about getting in trouble. And actually, so what, what would happen if your parents walked in on that? You know, we, uh, I got busted one time before my mom, she, uh, she was supposed to be gone all night. So we, man, we were, we were, uh, partying. We lived upstairs or I, I had an upstairs bedroom and I remember coming down to get a beer out of the fridge and I had the doors locked and I heard something. I looked over and there's my mom trying to get in the door and, uh, I just shut the lights off and ran back upstairs <laughs> And she had to crawl through a window. She was so mad. But, um, but you know, nothing really happened. She made everybody leave. And the crazy part is they were drunk, you know. She, she made everybody drive home. Um, and then that was it. I mean, she, she yelled, and that was it. And um, I just didn't get in trouble. And then, actually, after that incident, you know, we had a talk, and Mom said, uh, basically, I know – you guys are going to be partying and she felt bad about sending these guys home. So it became a safe space. So she said, you can party here, you know, as long as you guys party here and if anybody's drunk, they spend the night. And so, so really about 15, 16 years old, we got permission to, to do whatever. And uh, as long as we stayed upstairs, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know, and that's um, because that's the time when your brain is uh, still really forming and you're coming to, you know, who you are and all that stuff. So it can really, really damage your um, maturity and stuff like that and damage your, your growth mentally. Yeah, no, it. Uh... I mean, don't get me wrong. I started smoking pot young as well. But my dad would have killed me. You know, my dad would have done the same thing, too. And so also at that time period, I uh, I didn't want to go to my dad. So I kind of stopped going so much. And my mom allowed that. And uh, it was just because my dad, my dad just would not, he was not going to allow that stuff. So, you know, through the last part of high school, I. Uh, Do you, I real have, quick, quick question. Would you do that with your children? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. No. Yeah. No, no. Just a question. No, it was a. Uh, it wasn't good for us at all, you know. And then I had a, my little sister. She's three years younger than me. That grew up there as well. So she started that stuff even younger. And really? uh, yeah. And I let her, I let her party with us sometimes, you know, um, I think I got her high when she was 11 years old. And so that started her down a wrong path, you know, so. She also has addiction issues. Yes. Yes, she does. But that's, uh, that's pretty much my childhood. That's how I. I grew up, um, 
you know, from about the time I was 14 on, I uh, just kind of partied every weekend. You know, it started to be, we smoked pot every day. Um, we did you go to school high? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, we got into LSD and we got into pills. We got, got into all that stuff. And What age? Did you get into the pills and LSD? About 15 years old. Wow, that's really young. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I, uh, so when I was 15, I wasn't quite 16 yet. I, uh, I had a fifth of vodka and I put it in one of those big sports cups, right? Mm-hmm. And mixed some pop in with it, which was terrible. But, um, but I drank about half a fifth before school. And at the time, our school would let you carry these sports cups around. And um, by the time, so I carried it around to all the classes. And by the time um, lunch rolled around, I had drank the whole fifth. And I remember going out. I I had a friend. I knew his car was unlocked. And um, anyways, I, I had access to his keys. So I went out there to smoke a cigarette. And, uh, as I'm smoking, I think I, I thought to myself, man, you know, nice day to go for a drive. And so there's this country road right by our school. So I'm 15 years old. I take this guy's car and go down this country road. And, uh, man, I never made it back. They said I was going down, I was going about 75 miles an hour and, uh, I missed a turn. It was a curvy country road, and I flipped this car three times. Oh, wow. It was about 500 feet off the road. And um, Were you hurt? Yeah, I was, I was hurt. I was in the hospital about six days, I think, five or six days, and I busted. I, luckily, it wasn't as bad as it could have been, but... Um, you know, I had punctured my lungs, I punctured my spleen, I busted an eye orbital, um, they had to put a metal plate in my skull, and when I woke up in the hospital, my dad was holding my hand, and he, and he was crying, and, uh, I just remember that. And then, then my dad got saved and my dad quit. He quit doing drugs and he quit at the time he was just smoking pot and drinking, but he quit all that. And, uh, yeah. I think it's funny how us addicts think that we're just smoking pot and just drinking that we're okay. Right. Yeah. yeah the things our own brains will tell us you know what i mean oh yeah yeah and i remember my dad telling me when we were talking about this that he felt convicted to quit drinking you know so he quit drinking and uh he said within two weeks he put the pot down too because he said man it's it's all the same thing you know yeah so, 
Well, in, in a way, I mean, the only difference is if you overdo alcohol, you get really drunk and you do possibly some stupid shit or some dangerous stuff. Um, with marijuana, you just fall asleep if you do too much. Right. That's the main difference. Like marijuana, there's no like super and like super high because you smoke so much that you go do something stupid. Yeah. I think that's yep. the benefit of marijuana. I agree. I agree. So with everything going on, how did you do in school? And I did really good in school. Um, I did so well, in fact, that my my last year of school, my senior year, I figured that I could fail all my classes. If I just passed one each semester, I would still graduate and get the uh, the uh, Indiana honor roll. So, so that's what I did. I how uh, would you be on the honor roll? Well, the um, you graduate with honors. So, to get the uh, Indiana it's the Indiana Academic Honor diploma right and you had to have a certain gpa and i forget exactly what that gpa is now but um i think it's like a a b or something like that but it's indiana academic honors diploma so my grades were so high you know and i was able to i just messed around my last year and actually i Almost got kicked out of school for missing so much school, but but I made it. I made the bare minimum. You know, I graduated with the academic honors diploma, and uh, thought that was a big joke back back then. That man, you know, I didn't even hardly go to school, didn't do any work, and still got this. Yeah, and feel like you beat the system. Felt like I beat the system, you know, but. Uh, it was really making life more difficult. It was teaching me a lot of negative things. You know, not only was I getting more involved with the drugs, but I was getting lazy, you know. What, what kind of things would you have insight into? As far as? As, um, as far as just stuff that, that, experience, that you, as of now, the experiences would tell you. Well, I saw, I saw people that partied with me that continued to, to do both, go to school and, and still party, maybe not as hard as, as me, you know, but, um, I just saw them be more successful as I got out of school. You know, I, I became, I really did become lazy about things. I mean, it got to the point where, you know, I, I really did just want to party all the time. And I really, it was hard for me to, uh, it was hard for me to focus and, and do reports. It was hard for me to really, I don't know, get, get involved with school, you know, just doing the bare minimum to, uh, to pass. So, yeah, I mean, if I had it, you know, knowing what I know now, I would have stayed the course because I think that also um, 
builds a, a better work ethic. You know, I did go on to college and I went for two years at Ball State University. And uh, during those two years, I had a 3.9 GPA. But, what was you know, your major? I, um, natural resources and environmental management. Oh, very interesting. What made you decide that? Well, also, when I was younger, I just always loved outdoors. You know, we, uh, my dad took us every weekend to uh, Lake Webster. We had a place up in uh, North Webster, Indiana, on the lake. And so we were up there all through the summer, every weekend. So I love the outdoors um, with my grandpa on my mom's side. I hunted a lot, you know, so I liked the woods. I enjoyed all that. I enjoyed fishing. And so, um, so I thought, you know, a career like maybe a DNR agent or something like that is, uh, is what I wanted to pursue. That's really cool. Yep. So you did really well in college. Why did you only go for two years? So once I graduated high school, I I got real I did get real focused on college and I thought, man, this is this is my opportunity to stop all this nonsense. And um, you know, everything was pretty much paid for uh through grants um and scholarships for my school. So I thought this was just a, a great opportunity um, in my life. And so I didn't, I didn't hardly, I cut down a lot on the partying. I mean, I still every once in a while party, but really probably less than most, most people that go to college and party. I mean, I cut it way down and that really reflected in my grades, you know, and um, I worked all through that time and, and I held down the job and um, I just, I did well. And then what happened was I started to, uh, after two years, I started to get back into drinking every day again. And uh, then I got involved with a girl and uh, she got pregnant. You, you were drinking every day. What was your drink of choice? You know, I drank uh, drank a lot of Natty Light. I drank a lot of beer back okay. then. Well, I would drink whatever, but um, just to enjoy myself, I would drink beer. So, of course, when we went out to party, you know, I would drink hard liquor. But if I was just going to stay at home, it would mostly be just beer and wine. I, I drank a lot of wine. So cheap and hit hard and wasn't tastes a lot better than the whiskey to me. Yeah, I used to drink um whiskey and bourbon. But what I would do is I I just would take straight shots. I wouldn't even they wouldn't even be cool, they'd be warm shots. And um I would just do it where I held my breath, did the shot, and I kind of didn't taste it. And sometimes I'd have a chaser, but if you hold your breath while taking a shot. You don't taste it as much. It's a very minimal taste. Um, that was the trick to me. But yeah, back to you. You were saying also you met a girl. Yeah, so I got involved with a girl and uh, it wasn't too long into our involvement that she got pregnant. Oh, boy. 
Yeah. And so now I've got a daughter who is 21 now. Oh. And uh, that is uh, that came out of that relationship. But we got together real quick and she uh, she was not a part of your. She didn't like that lifestyle, um, got pregnant and got out of that situation. And um, so then I just partied even harder. You know, now I had this kid on the way and uh, she had left. And um, yeah, it just just continued to spiral out of control. So having a daughter didn't help in any way, shape, or form to kind of hold you back from your addictive behaviors? No, no, it did not. Nope. Um, yeah, from that point on, I mean, it, it got worse, you know, because when they're, when she was younger, I uh, I really just had her every other weekend, you know. So, I mean, I was free to do whatever all the rest of the time and uh yeah and that's what i did i just um just went back to the partying um got involved in the in cocaine and uh pills and uh i pretty much started my i had a really bad addiction to opiates and um it kind of started you know i had always done them on a frequent basis but at that point in my life it started becoming everyday everyday thing drinking and, and doing pills what kind of pills were you popping uh man i don't know if, if, <clears throat> there's a lot of these altrums around at the time what are those which, Man, they, they said they were non-narcotic is what I was always told, but it seemed like doctors would just hand them out like candy, you know, and, and everybody I knew had all these Altrams and, uh, but they would kind of speed me up too, you know? Um, did, so like, I, did you get euphoria or anything like that? Was it a good feeling? Yeah, no, it gave you a good feeling. You know, it, it, uh, it was definitely like an opiate buzz and, really? um, yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, I forget the other name for him. Tramadol, maybe. Tramadol? I've, yeah. heard, of tra I've heard of Tramadol. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with what like it actually is, though. I'm not going to try and be a scientist or a, ph or a, pharm a pharmacist, I should say. But, um, all right. I got into everything, you know, uh, Back then, it seemed like you could get Vicodins and hydrocodone and uh, morphine. I could get morphine quite a bit. Um, yeah, there was just a lot of pills around, it seemed like, uh, in the early 2000s. So there were. The doctors were handing out pills like candy because this is way before the opioid, opioid epidemic and also before... People started, you know, this, well, I guess it has to do with the opioid uh, epidemic, the pill mills and stuff like that. Yeah. Pill mills were pumping those things out. Like, oh, candy. Yeah. there are places where you didn't even see the doctor. You saw the doctor once. And then from that on point on, you just went to the office. They gave you, they literally at the office. I don't, I forgot 
how they did it, but they were, I think they actually gave it to you right there. And you can get one every month for like 180 pills, something like that. But a lot of those doctors obviously got arrested and stuff like that, got prosecuted, and they deserved it. They were uh, they were drug dealers. Yeah. Of some heavy shit. What's that? I said they were drug dealers of some heavy shit. You know, to me that's a that's a big deal giving out painkillers because you're turning so many people because of that into heroin addicts. And if not, people are still overdosing on just taking pills as well. Oh, yeah. So it's a very dangerous drug. I used to love them. Yeah, I did too, man. And that that went on for years, years and years. So. Yeah, I was on pills for, I'm trying to remember. Or I mean, I've taken pills for a while, but as far as opioids it was maybe five years six years the only reason i ever stopped was my friend at the time who was my only connection for it me and him got into a fight and he stopped helping me get and i had no one to ask so i had to go through withdrawal and all that and after that i just got more into alcohol yeah so once you're out of college, what do you do with your life? And I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing a lot for about three years. It seemed like I, uh, I really just partied real hard, um, and had, uh, I don't know. There was just always a party at my house, you know, it seemed like for about three years straight. And, um, this is at your parents' house. No, no, at the time. So let's see. When I graduated, I graduated in 98 and I had moved out before I graduated. But um, where'd you go? Where'd you move to? I moved in with a friend of mine. And um, I lived with him for a few months. And then I. How I, old was uh, he? He was a year older than me. So, yeah. Oh, wow still so young yeah and he he was doing all the same stuff i was doing you know and it was a it was a big party house and um i lived there for a couple months and that's when you know i started school and i had met another girl that she didn't party and so that's when i did start doing well for about two years you know i did okay but uh me and her were together i don't know it wasn't all that long, maybe a year or so. And, um, and of course I met that other girl and, and, uh, you know, at the end of, um, that two years of school where I was starting to party a little bit more. And then, um, but I had my own place at that time. I lived in a, a trailer park out in the country. So <laughs> it was like the wild west out there, man. It was, yeah. uh, the guy that owned it was a, complete redneck i mean he was a big drunk you know and uh and he i was really wild but like the owner was the wildest person there so you could just kind of it's just a free-for-all man i mean it it was loud it, the whole whole community seemed like we were all partying you know um yeah. but you're out in the middle of nowhere and so nobody cared and um 
but anyhow, so that's what I did for about three years and, um, partied with a bunch of people. Were you working at the time to make some money to pay for your bills? You know, I always worked, but I never worked steady, you know, um, what kind of jobs would you get? I worked at a foundry for a while. I worked, uh, delivering pizzas, I, mostly factories and stuff like that. I, I, jump around to factories mostly you know i worked in hotels at the time um yeah just small stuff like that you know i made it you can get it sounds like yeah and i just back then i just i didn't really have many bills you know what i mean it's like i i lived in a trailer and uh I, i didn't need much to pay the bills it was just me you know, I paid, I did always pay my child support. I, uh, I didn't need much to feed me and take care of me. You know, I always had a car. Um, things always got paid and I always had enough to party on and that's really all I cared about, you know? So, but, um, so you said you partied straight for about three years after college. What happened in that third year that you ended up stopping everything? So I, let's see, that was about 2005, I guess. I, uh, I got a job at an answering service, which you wouldn't think was much, but they actually paid really decent at the time. And, um, that's and I became a supervisor and I could almost get unlimited hours at this job you know and I really enjoyed it and what I would do this this really fed my pill addiction but I found that um you know I could work long shifts and I could just talk on the phone really well after I ate pills you know and so it really fed my addiction i mean i was working 60 70 hours a week and uh sometimes even more than that you know i mean making it wasn't great money but um it was was all right it was like 13 bucks an hour you know is what i was making then but uh in 2005 and and getting all the overtime and like i said it was just me and so that really fed my addiction too, you know, and then it started to be, I, I do remember the first time I realized that I was addicted is because I started to go to work early in the morning, probably five or six in the morning and I didn't have any pills. And, and I remember smoking a joint on the way there and uh, just having cold sweats thinking about it. And, and so you know, I had to uh, call somebody and uh, have them meet me there with some pills on lunch break, you know, but that was the first time where I had an idea that, man, um, I, I have to have these now. And what was going through your brain when your brain told you, what, what, what else was going through your brain when it told you you needed to keep on to those? You know, I, I keep I, taking those. 
I didn't, I didn't like it. Because you said you realized you needed it. Yeah, but man, in the throes of addiction and, you know, I was only 25 years old. Um, in a weird way, I just didn't care. So instead of thinking like, well, maybe I should take care of this problem. My thought process is like, I got to make sure I have pills before I go to bed. Like, are you, you know, that's, uh, don't, don't, don't do that again. So, um, yeah, that was my solution is like, just dude, make sure you have pills before you go to work. And so, uh, so that's what I did. Yeah. It really stays be like like you said, being in the throes of addiction. We just do what we can just to get the drugs. It doesn't matter. Um so you said you realized, wow, I need these. I'm addicted. What did you do next? Once you realized well, I mean let me ask you, did you realize at that point you had an addiction problem? I didn't see it as a problem. You know, I uh like I said in my warped mind and my warped sick thinking at the time the solution was to make sure I have pills when I wake up in the morning you know that seemed like the easiest thing to do because I didn't want to quit and I liked the feeling and uh I didn't feel bad if I was using so the solution was not to quit at that time the solution was like make sure I have those pills on hand so So at what point did you actually say to yourself, I need recovery? I I can't handle this no more. I, you know, my shit's falling apart. My life is unmanageable. At what point did you need to say to yourself, I need to get sober? Well, that was 2005. It was probably about 2011 or 12. Okay. And how did it happen? man, my life had spiraled completely out of control. And it's the, the crazy part about this is that it took so much for me to be like, maybe I should quit, you know, because that was never the answer. The answer was always do something else different, do something else different. And these, uh, you know, it's, it's the insanity part of it. But I thought if I, if I just changed certain things maybe i would change okay you know what i'm not going to to drink a pitcher of margaritas at the mexican restaurant you know um when i take these pills you know or um i'm not going to i'm only going to drink beer you know because if that wine and the whiskey and stuff really mixes bad with the pills you know or i'm never going to take you know, the, uh, oh, I forget what they're called. They're not, uh, I call them forget-me-nots. They're not Valiums, but uh, it's like when I was in jail, everybody that was in jail for stealing. Like they were, yeah, yeah, a I used to take those. I used to get prescribed those. Dude, I'd take them and forget everything. <laughs> me, me too, yeah. Especially if you mix them with alcohol. That was my thing. I used to mix them with alcohol all the time, and that's really dangerous. Oh, yeah. I'd wake up. I remember one time I woke up, 
and my pockets were full of beef jerky. And uh, I went to the, the VP is what somebody told me. I went down to the VP and they're like, dude, like you were stuffing your pockets full of beef jerky. Like, dude, that's stupid. <laughs> that's so dumb. Um, so that was my solution, you know, was just to try different stuff. But I do remember, I do remember thinking in two, like I would, at this point in 2011, I would physically get sick, like, like really sick, you know, very sick with all the stomach issues, the cold sweats, couldn't hardly move. I mean, it wasn't just that I needed them. It's like I was dope sick. And uh, I remember the first time I thought, you know what, like, I'm starting to get to where I do need to quit. And so I remember intentionally not having pills um, when I woke up and it was terrible and it was terrible. And um, then I knew, I knew for sure it was a very bad deal and I couldn't stop, but I didn't want to feel that pain. So I continued to do these things. And uh, in my mind, I just, it was hopeless thinking, man, this is just how it's going to be forever, you know? And, uh, and I started to hate it. But unfortunately, you still did it. I still did it. Yes, I did. Yep. And, um, I actually, I got arrested and, and I was getting arrested every once in a while, but man, it was just like a night or two in jail. And so I never really faced any consequences, you know, but, uh, I remember I got arrested and I was in jail for a month and a half. And, uh, my lawyer just said, dude, I can't get you out anymore. Like you can't, I, you know, I had gotten out on bail. I had gotten out on pre uh, trial detention and, uh, everything just kept getting revoked. And he's like, I can't get you out anymore. And so I had to go through the withdrawals there in jail and it was just terrible for about three days. Do they do anything to help you medically? No, no, they did not, man. Um, and I had requested, you know, the, well, whatever pill concoction it is to, that they give you, I forget what it's called, but I put in a request for that. Well, it was like on the weekend. And by the time they looked at it, they said that, you know, my withdrawal should be over soon. So, so basically I didn't, I didn't get anything, but it was terrible for about three days, but man, you know, afterwards, I started to feel a lot better. And, uh, yeah, then my, dude, I felt a lot better, you know, and, and as weeks went on, my mind started to get better too. Like I could feel a fog lifting off of me, you know, yeah, I know. Phys- it's a great feeling, dude, it was. And, um, 
yeah so that was 2000 and that's actually 2003 let's see 2012 i think when that happened what did you do to start your recovery well it wasn't at that point because once i got out i went back to using again uh, oh, i boy. stayed yeah i stayed clean until i got um i stayed clean until i got off probation and uh i was all about sobriety at first but then uh, after about nine months of it i was ready to party again man like it's like the trouble seemed to be going away and uh the charges were dropping off and then it was just misdemeanor probation and um I wasn't, I wasn't wanting to be sober, you know, I thought sobriety sucks. And, uh, I thought this time, this time though, I'm going to be able to handle it. You know, I'm going to be able to do it right. And, um, I, I got back on the pills real bad at this time. A friend of mine had access to, uh, oh, it was, uh, uh, oxy uh oxycontin so i was taking about there at the end man i was taking about 320 milligrams of oxycontin a day wow wow that's a lot yeah well he got them real cheap and so i started i started dealing them i started getting them off him and then selling them and uh i don't even know where he got them from but i know it wasn't good how he got these but um but he got them cheap and i was selling them and then it wasn't long before i thought man i'm gonna take half of one you know um they were uh they were 80 milligrams is what they were and so started out taking half and it wasn't long man before i needed that whole one and then it was two a day and then it was three a day and then it was four a day and then i remember him saying uh yeah, dude, I'm out. Like, I'm out. He had, like, access to, like, 900 of them when we started. And we went through all these. And, uh, dude, it about killed me coming yeah. off. But uh, I still kept on with the drinking. And uh, once I got through that withdrawal, I didn't do the pills too much. I was still doing them. I had access to morphine at that time and, uh, I was doing it a few times a week, but not every day. And, uh, what's the morphine uh, a pill as well? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I would get liquid methadone every once in a while from people, uh, about once a week. I thought I'm going to treat myself, you know, and, um, and Why I method would do, methadone would get you high. The liquid methadone. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, gets you pretty high, man. Yeah, I've never heard that. I don't know. Oh, it's terrible. Well, you know, these people go down to these methadone clinics, man, and uh, they come back with all this methadone. And once, first, you you got to take your dosage there. And then once you, like, earn, once you've been going so long, you can prove that you're taking it like you're supposed to. Then you go every other day. And then eventually you go once a week. So you come home with a week's worth of stuff. Well, a lot of these people that I knew were selling it 
and then buying heroin. So, yeah, so I would do the methadone and, um, but I, uh, I got with a girl in 2013 and me and her partied pretty hard. And I would say in about 2016, we started smoking crack and dude, I gave everything away for crack. And, uh, within a year, I had a house at the time. It was actually an apartment building that I had bought, um, in 2005. And I, I lived in one and I rented the other two out, um, while I was working for that answering service. And I had, I had kept that property for, you know, 12 years, I guess. And, um, but we started smoking crack and within a year, man. I, uh, oh, and in 2015, sorry, I'm skipping over this. In 2015, me and this girl had, had, uh, a son. So okay. she got, she moved in with me. Um, we had a son, he's seven years old now. And in 2017, we had another son, but, uh, by that time, you know, we had been addicted to crack for about a year. And I uh, lost my house. You know, we lost our cars. Um, and we actually lost our kids. Uh, she, the uh, CPS had been called on us a bunch. And we continued to refuse to cooperate with them. We didn't let them in. And I knew we were on their radar. And so when she was at the hospital, we had... It wasn't an open case, but somebody had called recently. And so they've got like a 30 days where they can open an investigation. And even though it's not a case, we were still on the radar. And uh, her doctor had actually reported that she had a positive drug screen. My, she was my girlfriend then. She's my wife now. But uh, my girlfriend had a positive drug screen and they contacted DCS. DCS came to the hospital and did a uh, test on the umbilical cord and found uh, crack cocaine and uh, oh, some, some sort of uh, opiate in the umbilical cord. Now, the baby did not test positive for drugs himself, but it was still in the umbilical cord and it was enough for them to to take our kids from us. How long was it before you got them back? They were in the system for 10 months. Okay. I mean, that's a long time for them, but it's not, it's not a crazy long time. No, no. Must have felt like forever to you. It did. And the thing is, you know, when you you're at that level, you're at your lowest point and then take your kids away. And then you you go even lower, you know, I mean, the depression, I can't even describe the depression. And not only that, I don't have anything holding me back at that point. There's nothing holding me back from doing whatever I wanted to do. And, um, we continued to smoke crack. 
you know, and drink. And uh, it got worse. And worse. So let's talk about your recovery. So what happened was we, uh, September 6th, let's see, September 15th of 2017, I was drinking and driving. And uh, my wife was in the car. Our kids are not not in our care. We're living in a motel. We got a few boxes of items. And uh, we're in uh, on a country road. I'm going really fast. I'm going, uh, they said, probably about over 70 miles an hour. And I flipped, I flipped this car. So it was the second time i've done this in my life but uh you flipped two cars yeah that first one was in high school you know that uh i had mentioned earlier when i was drinking i flipped a car in high school yeah but i flipped this car i i remember it being in the air i remember being upside down man it was like slow motion you know and uh Dude, all the windows busted out except for my wife's. So we, like I said, we weren't married yet. Um, the the car was completely demolished, and when I got out, <clears throat> there was blood all the way down the side of this car. And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like something bad has happened, and I'm okay. And my girlfriend gets out, and she's okay. And I don't know what that was, man. It had to be some sort of animal that we hit in the field. It was it was in the country. We rolled into a field. Um, I hit a culvert, which is what caused the flip. And uh, anyways, I got arrested. It was my third DUI. And uh, I was sitting in jail. And man, I just, I was at my lowest point. I couldn't go any lower, but I knew, I knew, and I felt that God saved me from that wreck. You know, I just walked away and I shouldn't have walked away, man. My wife walked away and she should not have walked away. And I knew that God had saved me. And, uh, and I just cried out to him, Lord, you know, please help me, help me. And I felt this peace come on me. You know, I felt this peace come on me. And I made up my mind that I was not going to do drugs or alcohol anymore. And the next day, my wife bailed me out. This was September 17th, I guess. September 16th is when I I got saved and gave my life to Christ. And I remember waiting for her to come pick me up and thinking, I got to tell her, like, I'm not doing drugs, like I'm not doing it. And uh, I got in the car and we talked for a second and I said, look, I, uh, I'm i not going to do drugs anymore and I don't want to do drugs anymore. And uh, I told her that I got saved. And uh, 
she said she didn't want to do drugs anymore either. And she got saved that day too. And, uh, you know, I know it doesn't work like this for everybody, but God took those desires away from me, man. He took that away from me. And, uh, after smoking crack for a year and doing drinking for, you know, 20 some years and all the other stuff, I just didn't have a desire to do it anymore, man. And uh, there was a program called the RU Recovery Program, and they had come into the jail years earlier. And I remembered them. And I had went a couple times in the last year. Like, we went three to three different meetings throughout the last year. And I said, let's, let's call those people. And so that was on a Sunday. And uh, a couple came and picked us up and took us to church. And uh, we've been going to church and the RU recovery um, ever since then. That's great. So it's always good to find a program. And I'm glad that you found one. Um, so RU recovery, do they have like their own steps or anything like that they do to help in your journey of sobriety? It, they do. So, um we don't have steps. We have uh, what they call the 10 principles of oh, RU, okay. which is, uh, it is um, biblical, biblically based principles. And, and they each have uh, a verse to them, but there's 10 of them. And let me see. I thought I had them right here, but like... Um, the first is, if God's against it, so am I. And then, uh, let's see if I can remember. The second is, um, let's see, every sin has its origin in our hearts. And the third is, uh, it's easier to keep the heart clean than to clean it after it's been defiled. And four is, we cannot bite a uh, fleshly temptation with fleshly weapons. Five is uh, small compromises lead to big disasters. Six is those who don't love the Lord will not help us serve the Lord. Seven is our sinful habits do hurt those that follow us. Eight is we cannot fight a fleshly appetite by indulging in it. Nine is our consequences are inevitable, incalculable, and up to God. Uh, we lose the freedom to choose when we give in to temptation. And ten is... God balances guilt with blame. Accept the blame for your actions and God will remove the guilt. So those are the 10 principles that we go by. And um, and you memorize those and it's a discipleship class. So you have challenges that you do. And sometimes the challenge is service work or going to a church service or uh, doing an essay or doing a testimony or reading certain verses, memorizing verses. But those 10 principles helped me. You know, I had been through AA and NA, and I felt, and while they're they're great, man, and, and I know a lot of people, um, you know, because I'm part of the recovery scene here in my town, and so we work with a, a lot of those people in those groups uh, right alongside, beside them, because, um 
you know, what works for, for one person may not work with somebody else. And one thing that I really enjoy right now, man, what I like seeing is so many, a variety of successful programs so that um, people, people have different choices and, and they're able to go see what works for them. But, um, you know, I, I was getting hung up on, uh, on, uh, just, I would, I would fail a lot, man. And I'd always have to go back into those rooms and, and, and tell everybody. And, uh, but, and it got me discouraged, man, but these principles, I just, started to memorize them. Okay. If God's against us, so am I, you know, that's just basic. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, uh, it's easier to keep the heart clean than to clean it after it's been defiled. Well, I knew that's tried and true. I knew that in my life, you know, it is way easier to not do the drug than to try to get recovered after you started again, you know, it sounds like um, the steps that helped you. It it really helped me. Well, and, and so it, the principles, I apologize. Oh, hey, it's they they really did help me, you know, and they still help me when stuff comes into my mind. Uh, it helps me to make decisions, and um, but yeah, so that's that's what I did, man. And I just went to uh, safe places, you know. We went to church all the time. We went to the RU program, and uh, I didn't associate with. I, I did all the things that I should have. I did all the things that somebody is serious in recovery did. You know, I did change the people in the playgrounds, you know, I changed the playmates, the playgrounds. And um, yeah, I just made a determination. Like I am not going to go to these places. I am not going to talk to those people. And my first, you know, one thing that scared me was, uh, not having friends and it's crazy now but i know we all feel that when we go like man what would i do if i'm sober like what do you do who yeah. do you hang and uh but then you find out man these people aren't your friends you know most of these people are not your friends and uh i'm not saying everybody i hung out with was bad people because there's a lot of good people but we don't really talk anymore you know um yeah. So getting towards the end here, let me ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Man, I would say uh, if you, number one, don't do drugs and alcohol. (laughs) That is not the... uh, that is not the thing to do. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people watching this are, are, uh, in recovery or thinking about recovery. And I would just say that, uh, man, your story, whatever it is, whatever your path is, get that story out there, man, get your victory out there. Tell how you got clean. Uh, let the world hear about it, man, because you don't know who out there might be inspired and motivated to, uh, to get clean and sober because of your story. 
And uh, I would just say that uh, we got to love each other. You know, we got to uh, we got to love each other enough to reach out to to those that are still suffering and uh, and tell our story and uh, to offer to be there for those people, too. So I think a lot of it when I got into this program at RU is I really felt the love of the the group and they become like a family to me. And uh, that helped me when I was concerned about not having people in my life anymore. And so that helped me transition. So be loving to that one that comes in the doors, man, whatever your program is, uh, love them, give them a smile, let them know you're there and uh, let them know you believe in them. Awesome, man. Awesome. I think this has been an awesome interview. How do you feel, my friend? <laughs> I feel good. I feel good, man. And I feel uh, I feel blessed to be here and to be able to share my testimony. And I thank you for doing this for people and uh, just getting the hope out there, man. Every story, every victory is important, man. And it's important to for others to hear. Yeah, I know. I mean, I have a lot of people that have reached out and said to me, you know, I related to the story, you know, et cetera. So we've had people that, you know, we know it reaches out. Yeah. So do you have anything else you want to add? Um, man, I, uh, I would just add if you, uh, you know, if, if you, haven't tried RU if uh you've been uh to other places and you um you're still suffering I would encourage you to look up an RU meeting it's called RU recovery they're all uh, it's actually an international but they're all across our country you can get onto the RU recovery.com and uh look up a, a um look up a meeting and uh or you can get on there and just look at the principles and some of the literature. Um, so. Awesome, man. Awesome. Really appreciate it. So I wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, my friend. It's really much appreciated. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And it was very nice to meet you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So sit tight for me. And for people watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. We're on all social media platforms like Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. You should also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of resources as well as free literature. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed. And until next time.